0: to the Exhaust Notes Podcast. What is good, everyone? Welcome back to the Exhaust Notes Podcast. It's been a couple of weeks. We had to take some time off. We actually added a member to our pit crew over this last two weeks. So happy to say we're back. But how are you guys doing? I'm ready to get loco with Coco. What up, Todd? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Sounds like uh, Nick was enjoying his silly season a little too much.
2: <laughs> silly um, season.
1: I'm good. I'm better than... Uh, Ex-F1 boss and current walking skeleton Bernie Eccleston, who's uh, on trial for fraudulently holding like $400 million in offshore
0: accounts. Yeah. So that's cool. And surprise, cool. surprise, he pleaded not guilty, right? So.
2: <laughs> yeah. If you believe it, it's not a lie.
0: Shout out <laughs> to George Costanza. <laughs> exactly. So it's it's been, uh, it's been, actually been an interesting couple of weeks. Well, it's been, let's say an interesting season we're, we're, we're lovingly calling it silly season, right? So I, I have been enjoying the last, you know, couple of weeks just because I've record so many times a week that I just needed a break, which has been nice, but, uh, silly season for formula one has been literally like the entire freaking season, basically. So where do we want to start guys? Let's talk about
2: the bridge to the last episode we were at, where it was announced uh, that our second favorite driver for all of us, I think, Seb Vettel, has decided to... What is the racing parlance of hanging up the Spurs? Is there a, a phrase? Could we come up with a phrase? But anyway, he is not going to be an Aston Martin driver next year. So that opened up one seat that was promptly filled by one Fernando Alonso. And I will now... Pass the ball to Todd Yates, who is the oracle when it comes to all sorts of driver movement in and out of a car.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I am not that. I am not that. Uh, So yeah, so Seb retired. We talked about that. We touched on that briefly. More so from the sentimental gonna miss Seb a lot for being an awesome human thing. And then it, it kind of opened up this weird portal that it sounded like let me see it sounded like mick was gonna go to aston martin that was like a strong possibility and then it sounds like that fernando was kind of stringing alpine along saying like oh yeah we'll talk about it we'll talk about it and then in secret completely blindsided them and signed to aston martin leaving alpine and it came out that um, the, uh, I guess, Otmar uh, Safnar from Alpine learned about Alonso leaving from the, the post, the Aston Martin welcoming Fernando post, which is, that's a rough way to do business. Uh, what do you guys think about Fernando driving? For Aston Martin, it's it's weird to like to have I guess technically the fourth best car on the grid, and then go to what the eighth or ninth best car on the grid, seventh, seventh maybe. I <laughs> yeah, mean, no. it's eighth probably. I don't know. What do you guys think? That's a huge step back for a dude that is. I don't. Well, I mean, we we keep saying he's like next the next to retire. He's going to retire, but. I'll start us off. Two
2: things: uh, L plan should really be called L retirement plan because I think he's clearly <laughs> just setting up money for his next chemoa hat venture. And secondly, the first thing that came to my mind was the I believe it's the Woody Harrelson gift from Zombieland where he's literally crying his tears with money, and I feel like that's what Fernando Alonso is doing because I think Fernando Alonso at let's say thirty five percent his skill would probably still run circles around Todd's favorite driver, Lance Strolovich. So I think that's what he wants. It's just he wants to end on his own terms where he gets the money that he wants. And he doesn't have to work hard. He's working smart, not working hard like my immigrant dad always told us to do. So
0: that's my thought. Nick, what are you feeling? I mean, I have to think as a Formula One driver, as a racing driver of any kind. The the idea of retirement, unless you're 100% zen with everything in the world like Seb Vettel, The idea of retiring from a sport that you have what I can only assume is like the most absurdly outrageous over the top and uncontrollable like adrenaline rush every weekend that you race. And honestly, every time you're in an F1 car, right? There's no there's no point in which going 200 miles an hour becomes normalized in my mind. Maybe it is for these guys, but I've got to think that like the more realistic approach to a retire to retirement is actually Alonzo holding on for dear life, as opposed to Sebastian Vettel saying, you know what? There's bigger things to do in life, right? Because no matter what you do after formula one, you're not going to reach anything near that adrenaline rush. Right. So. Yeah.
1: But uh, from the perspective of like leaving the fourth best team to going to Another team that's on like a five year plan, according to Dr. Evil or Daddy Strolovich. Um, w- like, if you guys were getting close to retirement, you wouldn't just change careers. Like, are you know, that's what it feels like a little bit. Like, I agree, like, what Roe said, he's going to wipe the floor with Vich tits. But, like, what I just don't get that. They're they're in Alpine was his best chance in the short term, assuming that he doesn't race until he's 50 to like get back towards the front of the field and fight for wins and fight for championships, which let's be honest, the Alpine's not going to get there in the next few years. Uh, So neither is Aston Martin. Like, I think that's
2: where the befuddlement comes in. If I can be so bold, Todd, and hopefully I'm trying to set you up for your point even more. I would say that if Aston Martin and Alpine were running neck and neck, maybe it makes sense because it's that ego boost of, I'm the guy that put Alpine to this level. Now I'm going to do the same thing to Aston Martin and showcase to the world that I am truly that missing catalyst. But it doesn't seem that way at all. Maybe. I,
1: I, I know that like Aston Martin's built like investing in their infrastructure like crazy. They're building like a new $400 million wind tunnel. What I foresee happening, though, is like what you just said, Ro, is Alonzo brings them to the front of the midfield. And then by that time in the next like five years or whatever, then he retires. And then he sets up whoever the next round of drivers is for Aston Martin to maybe potentially move the car forward a little bit more towards fighting for wins or whatever. I just obviously he doesn't need money. He's been racing for. When did he join? Two thousand. Was it 2000? Oh, are you talking about Alpine or just F? No, when when did Fernando join? Oh, Oh. man. 2006? Six, yes.
0: Five or six, something like that.
1: Something like that, mid-2000s, somewhere around there. So he's been doing this this whole time. I know he took a couple of breaks off, but it was to go race another series and probably get the bag there. He doesn't need the money. So, like, why not try to capitalize on the short-term success This is all leading me to say, what the hell is wrong with Alpine to make Danny Rick leave, even though he had arguably his best years that aren't Red Bull years there. And then Fernando to have his best years in a very long time. Like since probably what is Ferrari days, I guess, in like 2012 ish, I think. Yep. Um so
0: i think what's, the answer is obvious what's wrong with alpine we've already no it's not what's wrong with alpine it's what the bag is at aston martin so we've already talked about stroll potentially wanting out of formula one we i don't see that as something that's really close but you know lance isn't getting isn't going to win a championship in the next two or three years regardless of what car they put under him. So the more money Papa Stroll spends, the lo- the, the more this becomes either a forced long-term investment or starts looking for an, for an exit strategy. If If we were to not have this conversation today, and I would say, other than Lewis Hamilton, what driver on the grid is most likely to own a Formula One team in the future? You guys would probably both say that fernando alonso would potentially do that right like because he loves motorsports beyond f1 too which plays into to your point todd the time off that he spent at other places all those things so if aston came along and said okay not only do we want you to drive for us we want you to finish your career here and we want to talk about what the future of this looks like because they're in the investment mode like you said 400 million dollar wind tunnel that they're going to get you know, 2026 regulations says they can only use that for three and a half seconds a year. So, you know, <laughs> I mean, they've got to figure out some way to make, you know, to make this transition viable. And I think having someone like Fernando along for the ride in some sort of part ownership or, you know, like very top tiered, you know, kind of consultant, He he's one of the best to ever do it. Right. Like, I don't think that you can, they're not, they're never going to convince Lewis. They're never going to con- convince Seb. Like there's no other, you know, max is 10 years away from, from even thinking about these types of things. So, you know, timeline wise, he's the best option that that exists out there right now to be a face of the brand, a new change to the brand and whatever comes in the, in the, you know, let's say next four years. Right. So it's almost like Michael Jordan going to the Wizards, right? He's not going to win titles. He's going to put himself in a position to where he can he can turn around it and become, you know, the owner and the boss, the mob boss of of, you know, the pit instead of the guy that takes orders.
2: I like that point, but I I think they are sweetening the pot, but I don't think it's for Fernando unless Fernando gets like a ambassadorial 1% ownership stake. I do think that Daddy Stroll has probably got a short list of buyers because right now, Formula One is at its hottest. So if I've got new, new money, like I'm a tech wizard from Silicon Valley, yeah, why not invest some money into everybody's favorite thing right now? So I get that point and I think that's probably very likely. And it also makes sense that yes, what better way to attract a potential buyer to get a shiny toy, in this case, uh, is he a one-time or two-time world champion? Two-time world champion to replace your four-time world champion who's seemingly having a heart and deciding he no longer wants to be a part of this giant uh, pollutants and climate destruction. So kudos to them. It's going to be very interesting, but I definitely think there is a lot of smoke and a lot of fire. We just don't know how it's going to take down the forest just yet.
1: That's, I think you both had really good points there. One, from a driver perspective, like Ro was talking about, like, if he comes in and wipes the floor with Vich Tits. Uh, sorry, I need to stop saying that. Lance. Uh, <laughs> I just can't not. Shout out Rocket Powered Mohawk. He's a hilarious. Um, if he comes in and wipes the floor with Lance, no harm, no foul, right? He's going up against the double world champion. It's expected. If for Lance beats him on the odd weekend, looks really good for Lance whatever because he's not going to lose his seat as long as daddy owns the team. But on the secondary piece of like the, I never had even thought about that. And you made you kind of made me think of like the whole Toto Wolf being part owner of the Mercedes instead of like taking a big uh, salary. He was just like, no, give me ownership. And now I think he's like, he owns a third of the team. So he's worth like a fuck ton more than he would be. Um, Salary-wise? Yeah, salary-wise. Uh, but, yeah, I could see him luring him in, driving for them, then turning into, like, a Prost at Alpine up until a couple of years ago role as, like, a advisor. And then maybe some sort of front office ownership role there instead of getting the bag, net per se. Because I'm sure he got paid well. He's still a top talent, whatever. Um, but yeah, that's really, that's really interesting on both of, both of your accounts. But that being said, we then had the very awkward at two in the morning announcement from Alpine after Fernando said, nope, I'm out where they promoted. It didn't say signed. It said promoted Oscar Piastri as their reserve driver to a full-time seat next to Ocon. And it was really suspicious. And we saw the announcement. The Discord was going wild. And then there was a bunch of uh, speculation by the F1 media at large um, saying, like, why wasn't there an announcement from Oscar's side? Like, I'm excited to be driving for Alpine. Why did it say promoted? It didn't say signed. And then why did they release it at 2 o'clock in the morning Australia time? To, uh, to Instead, if you're signing an Australian driver, you would want to release it, you know, probably six, seven o'clock in the morning to hit the news cycle for a Australian time to capture that market. Um, And then a couple hours later, sure enough, Oscar Piastri, who doesn't actually technically have a seat in Formula One yet, said, no, thanks. I'm good. What you got, what Alpine said was not correct. And even went on to say, I will not be driving for Alpine in 2023. Your reactions to that? I'll go
2: first. You know, I'll give you some time. Uh, I am the resident alpine fanboy. It's been a tricky dance this whole year because it was a three-man show for a two-man seat, and the thought was Ocon might have been the one that's getting out so to speak, because you have the incumbent in a lot of people's mind, despite him being a relatively newer driver to the team and Fernando Alonso, who's got the titles, who's got the acclaim, who's got the legendary status within the sport that is going to trump whatever Esteban Ocon has done. Hell, you could even make the point. The only reason Esteban Ocon won his only race in his career was because of Fernando Alonso. So I think a lot of people thought Alonso was tied into that seat. And then you have a rising phenom. You have arguably the next big thing in a sport of next big things in Oscar Piastri. Taking that second ownership, second ownership of the seat. So our thought was, okay, where's Ocon going to go? Now it, on a surface, looked to be a good headache for Mister Otmar in the sense that, okay, if Alonso's not going to be there, we don't have to do any sort of shenanigans. We don't have to loan out Oscar to Williams. We don't have to ply his trade somewhere else. That seat is yours. But I think Piastri took the temperature in the room and realized, you know what? Maybe my ambition is greater, and I see this shit show over at McLaren who desperately need a second driver who is not even I would say if he was at above average status McLaren's running away with the fourth place finish in this year's uh constructor series but that's not happening so it makes a lot of sense but it is very strange that you have this news dump and maybe the thought was if they just say it in the middle of the night when no one's paying attention we're all just going to wake up to it in the morning like oh yeah that makes sense five hours there's no controversy but My thought is this. They tried to finagle their way, finesse their way into this situation. And I think it's led them to an even bigger mess, because right now it seems like Alpine is the ugly person in the dance that nobody wants to talk to, let alone dance with.
0: I mean, it's just kind of like crazy to me, like we haven't had this much. I mean, drama is is the only word that you can describe it with, but like it's, it almost feels like the entire thing is just set up by Netflix for next year's drive to survive. Right. Like, (laughs) I mean, this type of stuff happens every season. Drivers change teams, drivers change their minds, teams change their mind, teams find the better driver or the better deal, whatever that is. But to have this all kind of play out the way it did where. Yeah. I mean, I can't I can't envision that it's it's that bad at Alpine, right? If I'm if I'm Danny Rick, you know, two years ago, it seems like McLaren is a better choice, right? They're they're marketed better, they fit his brand better, all of the above, right? If I'm Alpine right now, formerly Renault, formerly you know, Danny Rick's team three years ago, I'm literally like thinking, how do I get Danny Rick back in this seat?
2: <laughs> oh like- no, I I would not want him at all. Like why at this point, why not take a punt on a young driver? Because at this, it, there's nothing about the last three years, if not four years, I would say how many good seasons has Danny Rick had in the last four years, meaning his two years at Renault and his two years at McLaren. And be honest with myself.
0: With so so I don't think I don't think he's had a great by any means lived up to who who we know he can be in, okay. as a driver. I think the issue for Alpine is more about the perception in the public and the marketing aspect of the team than it is the drivers. Because, look, you can the reason McLaren can have two young drivers is because the team already has like a following. Right there's no reason for anybody to be an Alpine fan after this season. You know, like Todd, Todd is always making fun of Ocon, right? He is not a like marketable person the way Danny Rick is. And I don't think that that should be a determining factor in like, who's the better driver, but it absolutely is when you're running a business, right? Like if I have to make the decision to say, you know, I want either a driver that kicks ass and, you know, or, or, sometimes kicks ass in this case and like then i have a driver that i can actually market and say like i mean that's absolutely why fernando is a huge part of that team right like he is the the proven success he is the name that people are going to come to the team for but without him alpine's not going to sell merch you know like Ocon will have fans there's nothing you know it's not like he won't have a, a group of fans but like are you buying Ocon merch? You're probably buying LeClaire merch before Ocon merch. Like the levels to the fandom, I think is an important thing to take into consideration because after all, all these people are, are racers, but like they need to think about the marketing aspects of, of everything about this business in order to be successful because the money goes away, you know, the, the less known you are. Right. And we see that all the time with these changes, if it was still a Renault team, I wouldn't even think I wouldn't even be having this conversation because Renault is a massive company. People are fans of that car brand outside of formula one. There's reason for it to exist, but Alpine, you know, aside from very limited production vehicles that they've come up with in the last few years are like, you know, there's, there's a disconnect there between like, how do we get people excited about this team without having top tier drivers? And it's not to say that their drivers are bad, But their drivers are definitely not top 10 marketable drivers like they don't have anything that says, wow, this guy is the guy that 17 year old Nick is going to be a fan of and and follow for the rest of his career. And I think that's a big miss by by, you know, in the situation they've kind of gotten themselves into.
2: No, one thing I will say, and we talked about this when Otmar joined that team, that was a very professional hire, but that was also a very boring hire. And maybe it's a team that's now taking on the characteristics of its leadership because Alpine, with the exception of Fernando Alonso's involvement, is a very professional, very boring team. They're going to get somewhere between 6th to 10th place. They're going to be happy with that. And their biggest hope is they don't ruin their race, let alone someone else's. And to your point, it doesn't make much for fodder when it comes to Drive to Survive episodes or t-shirt sales. But I think they are very responsibly run, and that is a detriment to how they are viewed, I guess.
1: One counterpoint to your boring but responsibly run statement there. Apparently, they had until July 31st to exercise the option on Oscar Piastri. They then announced Oscar Piastri on July 1st. So, and them finding out that Alonzo was leaving by the uh, Aston Martin announcement, doesn't say that they're exactly totally professionally run. They should have been did- doing their due diligence saying like, okay, it sounds like we have Alonzo. He just wants to like cross some eyes, dot some T's, whatever you... I know I said that backwards, but it's a bad joke. Um, it's a dad joke. <sighs> yeah, yeah, I'm running on a few hours of sleep. Forgive me. So... it. They should have been doing their due diligence in the background saying like, okay, if we lose Alonzo at any second, what do we do? And it sounds like they got caught sitting on their thumbs a little bit. And then as like an emergency plan announced Piastri. And then he came back and was like, no, I'm good. So I I think you're right in the sense that the Otmar was the boring but professional hire. But I think it's the levels above that because he's just the team principal. He's not the CEO. And because there's this weird Renault-Nissan kind of mega global partnership thing that owns the team as well as other people involved because it's, a, it's partly owned by the government of France. There's a lot of talking heads in the room. So it sounds like it's everything above Otmar might actually be the issue at Alpine. And it's uh one of the reasons why who who left that was notable there. Cyril. Cyril. Well I think he kinda got a a beatable. Uh I think he kinda got forced out or whatever. Um but there's there was somebody else notable at Alpine that left. I can't remember his name right now. But um was it
2: uh, the aforementioned Alan Prost? I mean, they've been losing people left and right, in a sense, if we're paying attention to just the Wikipedia page of it all.
1: Uh, it, I mean, that is a notice, not, notable loss. I don't know exactly how much. I feel I, I can't tell you what an advisor does in F1. I've never been one. But I feel like unless you're an engineer or a driver or a team principal, like your advising role can't be that influential as far as like, car development or team development maybe their practices and stuff are improved by you know these championship drivers that hang on to teams after the fact i don't know but um god what was my point
2: uh you were talking about how alpine And especially above the Otmars of the world are not as professionally run as what I was kind of articulating in that they kind of sat on their thumbs and now they got burnt because Oscar Piastri wants nothing to do with them.
1: Yes. And Daniel before that didn't want anything to do with them. So somehow people aren't seeing the long term vision there. And that could be the issue, which is crazy for having, I guess, you know, the fourth best car on the grid. Oh, uh, by the way, Nick, check your mail. Something
0: just got delivered. Will do. Also, (laughs) I I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to have a little rebuttal here for you for the, you know, what does a, uh, F1, you know, brand ambassador, consultant driver do right. Uh, not that I've ever had that experience, but Hey, anybody in an F1 team, give me a call if you need help. Um, I just think of like, Go ahead.
1: No, I was going to say from a marketing perspective, hundred percent, not that well, I'm I, your driving abil- abilities.
0: <laughs> yeah. Driving is, I mean, I'm not a bad driver by any means, but I am not anywhere. That's not even a, an interest to me to drive a formula one car. To be honest, I'd probably just end up in a, yeah. Losing a limb or something like that. But um, just thinking about like the way that it typically has worked though, like Nikki Lauda was around for what, 40 years in the pits I think that when you have the right people in terms of success, in terms of dealing with the egos of the sport, I mean, it's, it's, almost, like, it's almost like can you afford to not have them there rather than like what are they going to bring to the table, right? Because ultimately, all these guys have massive egos. They, ha- they are irreplaceable to a lot of, to, to a, a very high extent, right? You know, yeah, we can say that, you know, this driver is going to drive for that team and switch over here. But the pool of capable drivers is what, 30 or less in the world. The pool of drivers that have won and actually still want to be around the sport is is what, 15, 10, 12. Like the fact that you could have somebody, you know and I'm not saying that all these guys are like this, but like from, from what I kind of understand from Lewis's relationship with, with Lauda prior to him passing, right. It seems like it it helped Lewis navigate things off track that he probably didn't have a full understanding of, because ultimately when you're, when you're early in your career, like Ocon Norris, any of these guys that have a, a, a long future potentially in Formula One. You can't get distracted by those things, right? Like this whole offseason or summer is like chaos, right? And it would be easy, easy to kind of get wrapped up in it and like wondering who your teammate is, wondering who you're racing against, all of those things. And w- sometimes when it comes from the team, you know, as we see when Max is told to do anything, you know, the the, the clapback from these guys is instant and without thought, right? So when you're sitting there listening to a guy who's already proven and won two, three, four championships, you shut your mouth and listen, regardless of of what the situation is, right? And I think that you can't do that if that person is in the hierarchy up, right? Like to me, it seems like like a total wolf, right? Like there is other motivation for him. And that's always going to be in a driver's head, right? Even when you're Lewis Hamilton, the fact that a situation might arise where George Russell is, is given a little bit more of a green light or a little bit more of this or that you're still going to have that. But if you have kind of like a coach that is not connected to that hierarchy, you're more likely going to take that advice with a little more sincerity than you would, the grain of salt that you take every piece of advice that comes from someone up the chain from you, which is just natural human behavior, right? And I think that's a really interesting piece to this, where you know, like we're looking at a situation where there is no person like that with Alpine. There's no, there's nobody connected there with experience. And that doesn't necessarily mean a bad thing. Sometimes you want that fresh, like, let's just go out there and fucking figure it out kind of attitude, right? But it's going to be really interesting if Danny Rick lands back at at Alpine, he becomes almost like the authority in that team in a way that is like completely bizarre turn of events beyond just him potentially landing at a team he raced at before. Because, you know, like if you haven't watched Formula One long enough, drivers leave teams and end up back at those teams pretty regularly. I, I, I wouldn't say it happens all the time, but. You know, every three, four years that happens, in my opinion, it's probably pretty close to that, I would guess.
1: Yeah, something like I don't know, at least like a couple times a decade, there's a driver that makes his way back to a team. But one, that was a great point, and I slightly take it back. Uh, The the, the Lauda Hamilton partnership, Hamilton himself has said, like, he credits Nikki for like. Really pushing him through like the early phases of his career into a more professional, less hot headed kind of driver, which is funny because Nikki was like a no bullshit kind of Max ish when he was driving from all accounts. He was like a very Max like like no filter, like I'm going to tell you you're an (laughs) asshole to your face and I don't mean it disrespectfully. I'm just saying like, you know, that was that was Lauda when he was younger. So. I, I take it back a little bit. I probably have a little bit of bias here because in the Prost Senna rivalry, I was definitely on the Senna side. Um, but yeah, like they called him the doctor for a reason. So he's got to know, especially being around the pit or the paddock for that long. You're right. But this is a perfect segue. Sorry, go ahead, Nick. You were going to say I'll something. Go for it. You're probably on the same segue I was going to This gonna be is on. a perfect segue <laughs> to talk about Danny Rick and where he ends up because. It's pretty much by all calculations and, you know, paddock rumorings and things said that because the reason Piastri said thanks but no thanks to Alpine is that he had already been in talks, not only with Williams, that it was a potentially what we talked about a few episodes ago, that he was going to go on loan because to be as a reserve driver for Alpine part of his contract stipulations was you guys have to find me a seat for 2023 if I'm not driving for you. And it was going to go on loan to Williams as part of a partnership deal where Williams would actually start taking uh Renault engines that obviously fell apart um, with Fernando leaving. And then he started talking to McLaren, and supposedly, although it hasn't been officially announced yet, um they are have all but signed a contract for Oscar Oscar to drive for McLaren for 2023, which means that Danny Rick's out of a seat. The last number I heard to buy Danny Rick out is 21 million. Uh is that that's what came from Danny Rick's side, but where do you guys think he ends up? Is he does he retire? Does he go to V8 Supercars in Australia? Does he, you know, really fully embrace his Americanism and jump over to NASCAR with Kimmy, um, or does he drive for Alpine because that's the only logical place for him to go, kind of? And row I'll throw it to you because. You were the one that seemed super anti going back to Alpine. So tell me why. Like Nick was talking about earlier from a marketing perspective, he's the most marketable person-ish in Formula One that isn't a world champion. For sure. And uh, he had his most two successful years that weren't Red Bull in the Alpine or the Renault car, whatever. So what do you think? Why not?
2: For me, he just hasn't shown enough. So let's look at it from his first year at Renault, which is now Alpine. He was up against Nico Hülkenberg. And by all intents and purposes, he should have blown Hülkenberg away because for all of his plaudits, Hülkenberg would best be characterized as a journeyman driver. Would that be fair to say?
1: Yeah, basically for his career.
2: Yeah. The overarching theme in that first season was Danny Rick still hasn't figured out this car. He still hasn't figured out this car. Now, I get it. These pieces of machinery are some of the most complex. And like the two of you, I have no affiliation to any sort of Formula One professionalism. But that being said, if he was really as great as he was and not, let's say, a system driver, because it seems the further and further he's removed from Red Bull, the more and more he looks like a pedestrian driver it just feels that he didn't get there in that first year. And granted it's the first year. And I believe was that the start of the pandemic or his second year was the start of the pandemic where I'm going to give everybody a wash there. But even then he got the podium that he was supposed to get, but that felt more a rare occurrence than a normality. And that's where I think the expectations were not met. And granted, In history, the victors get to write write the history. So Cyril Abitabo, not there. I'm sure I butchered it, so Todd will correct me later. You're getting closer. It's like Marco Polo every time I open (laughs) my mouth. It's one of those things where his biggest champion left the team, so I don't think he would go back. And Maybe he knew that with Cyril going, the microscope was going to get bigger and bigger on him, and hey, that McLaren spot is looking more and more juicier because that seems to be the team on the rise. Now when he got to the team on the rise, I don't think anybody in this world except for members of the Norris family thought Lando would handle him the way that he has over the last 18 months. So. It's been one of those things where he has not met expectations from a purely racing perspective in my eyes for the last four years. And I think for a fifth season, he's more likely to continue to not meet expectations than he is to meet those actual expectations and be better than what he's shown us in the last four years. So that's my thought. But in Formula One you're only as good as your sponsorship and your money. And if he does go to Alpine, I think it would be more on the backs of, Hey, this is a financial play for us and not a performance play. But that also goes against everything I've led to be believed about Alpine where they continue to seemingly favor results over sponsorships. But that's just my thought.
0: So. I definitely understand where you're coming from there. Um, I don't think he leaves the sport. I don't, think, I don't think that's... Can I throw a suggestion for you? Because
2: I was looking at the seats and in the pre, pre-race, in the pre-recording segment, I had mentioned that there are six seats available. There are not. There are five seats available. McLaren, Alpine, Alpha Torre, Williams, Alfa Romeo, Haas. And we all think the McLaren is Oscar's Piastri seat to lose. It's a formality at this point. Of those five teams, if I'm Danny Rick... There's one name that jumps out from that list, and it's not the name you would think. If Alpha Romeo do not sign Guan Yu Zhou, that's the seat I would take.
0: Ooh, interesting. I was not expecting that.
1: I thought you were so, gonna say
0: Haas. Yeah, so so I, I don't know if this is really a hot take or just my marketing mind going to work here, right? But like the the, the downside, the problem and the struggle with Alpine is that no matter what Danny Rick does there. He's surrounded by people up the chain that don't understand the personality aspect of of who he is, right? He's already kind of been there and done that. It's not to say that he couldn't go there, make them a better team, make money, blah, blah, blah. Haas, knowing that Danny Rick is is an American fanboy, kind of, has a house in LA, already kind of has hinted at racing here in the States and other forms of racing. Um, I don't think he goes and races V eight supercars because it just, uh, once you've been on this, on the, he's the a formula one. Well, once you've been on the formula one level of, of fame, uh, you know, why not, why not go someplace where you actually have the reach the, I would love for the V eight supercars in Australia to be a, a freaking worldwide racing body. Oh, like man, uh, that too. would be amazing, but you know, it just would never happen in, in it's not going to happen anytime soon. But Danny Rick could go to Haas right now. Even crazier hot take, I guess, would be Seb Vettel doesn't take any time off from racing and joins as an advisor. You have potentially, like, Danny Rick as a driver. Sorry, K-Mag, you're out. You can't get rid of Schumacher, even though technically he might be on the hotter seat in the Haas car than K-Mag in terms of performance. But he's he's a name, right? Like if if he becomes successful with any team in Formula One. You're never going to forget it, right? Like if I don't mean this in a bad way, but if Ocon wins a title with with any team on the grid right now, Alpine and Ocon win a title next season. We think of him as the guy that maybe put Max off for a year. But Max is going to win again, right? If Schumacher wins with Haas. You remember that Schumacher, because you're going to remember his name as a Schumacher, won with an American team that is traditionally not supposed to win in Formula One. So like there is just like this like tremendous potential upside for a team like that to come together and like Voltron themselves into a, you know, a potential like short-term powerhouse in a way, not that they have the, the, you know, the cars to back that, but from a marketing perspective and from a, from an energy perspective, not, not a rich energy perspective, but like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like there's, there's like some, that's something that I could get super excited about. If Danny Rick is driving for Haas, I'm already a Danny Rick fan. I'm already by nature being an American. I'm going to root for Haas just to see them compete. Right. I'd love to see them back at that first couple of years and, you know, competitiveness, but then you throw in the Schumacher aspect to it. You've got two drivers that are unforgettable. One, because of his namesake. The second, Danny Rick, because he's the personality. And imagine the Netflix drama slash just pure entertainment. It wouldn't even be drama. But between Gunther and Danny Rick, like, <laughs> honestly, sign me up for that movie right now. I will go I will go sit in the theaters to watch two hours of those guys bantering back and forth. With someone like Mick, who is slightly not embracing the personal aspect of racing, he's trying to keep it calm, cool, and collective, but you know, like he's a kid, he's going to have fun with that. And those guys would bring it out in a way that I think just nobody else on the grid is going to. And if you throw Seb Vettel into the mix and and they actually make some, let's say, conscious decisions about how they approach racing and, and all of that, that Seb is, you know, kind of pushing forward with you have like an American fan base that all of a sudden is, is not only passionate about the drivers and the, and the American team, but like who in America is not consciously aware of like, we need to get our shit together before the planet explodes on its own. Right. So like, I just think that would be like the perfect storm of, you know, like a, uh, Sixth or seventh place team. <laughs> <laughs> All that for sixth and seventh.
2: No, the Haas thing makes a lot of sense because I think this may be the overarching theme of this episode is what do these teams value? Is it actual performance or is it the sponsorship? And I think the Danny Rick to Haas marriage would be a perfect symbiote of both things because you could make the argument that he's a step up either off of Kevin uh, Magnuson or Mick Schumacher. He brings that American market and Haas is struggling, uh, struggling, wow, struggling for some sort of cultural identity. Like for the longest time, we thought of them as America's team and then they got swayed by Daddy Mazepin's bucks or rubles. And we kind of saw this team that was adrift that chased the highest dollar or the highest ruble. I would love for Danny Rick to come back, so to speak, to the US of A and use Haas as his eventual pivot to NASCAR. But I don't know. It's, it's an interesting one. Todd, where do you fantasy book Danny Rick? Is it Haas? Is it Alpine? Is it some team we're not even contemplating right now?
1: Uh. So first, I want to talk about the Haas-Danny Rick thing. Holy shit, I would love that. I would probably forego all of my allegiances to Team Papaya, my long-term fandom, and just be like, yeah, we're number one, America. you USA, um,
2: USA, USA.
1: They, there's so many things they could do with that like Schumacher and the Seb partnership and the mentorship that he has like and then the, like the fun atmosphere that Danny Rick would bring although I think Schumachers a bit kind of uh, robot like uh like he's a he's a bit Mark Zuckerberg-ish I don't know if you guys saw the most recent Haas video of them they had like a quiz they had a big world map and they had like a quiz where they like asked him a question and they had to put there a picture of themselves as a driver in the country where the track was and like K mag was just like you know having fun with it and like ended up breaking his own little magnet thing so that goes on the board and and Schumacher was just like uh do I get a guess now like he's just very robotic like i don't know he's a bit out of his own skin. In uh, See, they seems. just need
0: to lean into that, right? Like, that's, that's marketing genius right there. Oh,
1: just make him uncomfortable all the time kind of thing? <laughs> yeah, that would be amazing. I love that so much. I would be so excited to have Danny Rick there, regardless of performance. However, K-Mag's on a multi-year deal. Yeah. Schumacher's on the hot seat, as we've talked about. Uh, I read an article earlier that says... The Thing that just very Gunther like, uh, the thing that he needs to do to keep his seat, as Gunther said, is just score more points. That was it. <laughs> um, I think he still ends up staying there, but there's a chance that, uh, he, if I if I did see Sch- uh, Schumacher leaving a team, I'd see him going to Alfa Romeo because that seems to be the stepping stone to Ferrari, and Ferrari is salivating for him to come true on his. You know, genetic talent and put him in this a, a seat, you know, two, three years from now when signs this contract runs out. And they have Leclerc, who's then the old hand, and then the Schumacher is the young, young driver. God, that would be Italy would just o face collectively, I think. There'd be a um, lot of cream on spaghetti. Yeah. <laughs> the, I think the most, and this is the boring answer, but I think the mi- most makes sense thing for me is alpine danny rick was super competitive there i know his first year wasn't great he was coming to grips with the car but he was still out driving what the renault car was at that time and by all accounts i mean journalists have been talking about it this whole done danny rick saga going on the news when in the second year he really outperformed the car got a couple of podiums uh made cereal get a tattoo that's uh I mean, could you imagine Gunther get having to get a t- Danny Rick tattoo? That would be amazing. Um, but I think he goes back to Alpine, and I think it's almost like a redemption story if it can come to pass that he goes back to Alpine team he was performing well in well well enough in um way better than McLaren. He gets a chance to fight McLaren because they have at least the same or if not a little bit better car. And he gets redemption from that. Plus, I'm sure the bag is huge if he goes back to Alpine. He goes. It's not exciting from a marketing perspective, kind of like Nick mentioned, because the French just are lost in that sense, unless they get the Ocon Gasly driver pairing, and then it's just Team Baguette. Um, but I think he goes back to back to Alpine because they have the immediate need. And McLaren wants to kick him out, so he double dips, gets the back from McLaren, gets a nice payday from Alpine to drive for them, multi-year deal. He gets maybe two more years, and then he retires.
2: No, I think that's pretty likely to happen, because as much as I don't want him on the team, I am an anomaly and an outlier. I think common thought will prevail. It's just a question of seeing how the rest of the puzzle pieces fall. So we talked a little bit about Danny Rick. Do you guys see, let me throw a couple names at you. And I just want a prediction from both of you. If these people will retain their seats. Probably everyone's third favorite driver, Yuki Tsunoda. Is he going to retain his seat based on how he finishes this year? Or do you already think it's set in sand that, no, he's not going to be back at Tori?
1: for me i think he does and we haven't heard about any news on it uh in quite a while but the potential honda coming back in slightly to help this engine deal thing until 2026 takes over um i think is supposed to happen and i think because of that uh Yuki keeps his seat. Apparently, I mean, according to F1 journalists, of which we are not, he's having a pretty good year. By all accounts, considering the dog shit car he has. Like, I mean, we talk about how bad Gasly is performing this year. So we have to give the same weight to Yuki's performances other than his like, was that Australia when he crashed into the wall coming out of the pit lane? I think it was, right? I think so. Because it was cold. Uh Cold cold tires or whatever. Other than that, he hasn't had too many... He's not like slapping a wall every other race like Schumacher and Latifi have been. So,
0: I think he keeps his seat. I tend to agree. I mean, I think... I don't think he's performed poorly enough to, to let him go with the Honda rumors, right? Because that connection is definitely going to be something that keeps, that gives him a little bit, gives him a little bit more of an appeal outside of just like what he does on the track. Right. I mean, that's kind of the the politics of formula one, whether you like it or not. And I think too, like, again, like Yuki is, you know, he's, he's like a fan favorite beyond what he should be. Right. Well beyond what he should be. And that's not even just the, you know, the drive to survive stuff. That's just him being kind of a character, right? And I think that people, people, the the teams that get it, you know, will want him around. And I think that Honda will have a lot more say in that as you know, as we move into whatever this next world, you know. And they've done that before, right? Like Honda had you know takuma sato racing for was it bar or Braun, you know for those years and mm-hmm. you know like s- same kind of situation where like was he was he top 20 f1 driver in the world at that time it's probably debatable you know he, he was probably one of the 20 best but was was he you know deserving of that seat long you know as long as he had it for maybe not, you know, and it was only a few years, but it's like I just think those things happen. I think it makes sense for them to be aligned on it. And if if Honda's going to expand into F one the way the rumor mill has been talking about, which I'm sure Aaron will have some some feedback on this in the Discord channel, so make sure you, you uh, hit the link in the description to join the community. But yeah, I'm I'm excited to see where it goes for for more for Yuki than I am for Alpha Tori, right? Yeah. I mean it's it's hard for me to be excited about like you know what we know is like the secondary team you know out there for Red Bull right um i just think that they're set up to never never succeed and if they do succeed then they'll just then Red Bull will just pluck the drivers from that team and we've already seen it before and and it's just a matter of like them figuring it out and they're still competitive on the grid so it doesn't really matter if they're you know fourth, fifth, sixth team on the grid, as long as they're somewhere in that middle pack, then they're serving their purpose.
2: All right. Moving from one Aaron Nojima uh, favorite to another, uh, Guan Yuzhou. Do we think he gets to keep his seat through the end of this year?
1: Yes, but let me back up real quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, This just made me think of it. Maybe we can talk about this later, but it's funny how we get excited about things that Alpha do and who's racing for Alpha and how competitive they are, even though they're technically the junior team to Ferrari. And then we get on it like we're kind of anti AlphaTauri because they're the junior team to Red Bull. So whoever's there, we're not excited about it because Red Bull's is just going to steal them. But if somebody's doing well in Alpha, we're excited for them because then they can make their way to Ferrari. Just a funny thought. Um yeah, Guan Yu is keeping his seat. He has he had a really rough start to the beginning of the season. But I think the swag lord of F1 has proved that he is learning consistently race by race. I say that kind of with a grain of salt because he has had bad performances after his good performances, but it's I think it's his trajectory is still pointing up. Also, he's bringing. I know they say they don't need it, but every team says they don't need the sponsorship money. Um, he's bringing a fair chunk of change to have that seat, which I think is going to continue. Um, and I think he is—he's like the one connection to Greater Asia, right? I know Yuki's from Japan, but like the the China being the biggest amongst, he's the connection there, and they they like having that tie into that that region and we'll see what he does in Singapore this year. Um so based on performance and his trajectory, I say he's keeping
0: his seat. Yeah, I mean he's he's definitely got huge marketing opportunity, right? Like, you know, it's like one of those situations where you've got to mess up quite a bit to not have that seat in my opinion. And he's well above what what I would say the cutoff is especially to to Todd's point right like Chi- the market the chinese market is i mean it's still kind of in a sense wide open when it comes to formula 1 like i know that there's a big fan base there but it's not it's not a staple amongst formula 1 the way so many other tracks are so to me it just it makes sense for you know the the sport of f1 has to be thinking about that which means you know Subsequently, I think Alpha has to be thinking about that too.
2: Yeah, I mean, for me, I think I'm always going for chaos. So my thought is if his biggest allure at this point is the money and there's one team that needs money and they're possibly getting rid of their one driver who brings that money component, why not ship him with Alex Albon and usher in a new Asian era of Williams race car supremacy? (laughs) <laughs> like I said, I that I'm going for the strangest of fiction. I know it's not everybody's cup of tea, but in my hypothetical scenario, I've been jotting this down. It's something along the lines of we see him, in this case, Guan Yuzhou at Williams. We see Alfa Romeo with Danny Rick because I think that would make the most sense. But I tend to look at things, I guess, in a more race sense perspective and not the macro view that Todd and Nick provide uh, Haas. I think they just go for the sh- uh, most secure pair of hands on the grid. And that's the 21st driver, Nico Hulkenberg. And I think Mick Schumacher goes to Alpine just because I think... He seems to have a good relationship with Esteban Ocon. He seems to be the one driver that seems to tolerate Esteban Ocon, so why not? And as I can tell by Todd's eyeballs and seeing 88% of them that I've clearly gone off the deep end. So gentlemen, please rein <laughs> me back in. <laughs>
1: I I love that we get to a point in every episode where I'm just like, "Wait, what just happened?" It's you keep me on me, you keep me on my toes, bro. I love that. Um, That's why I'm here. It's not what? for the race analysis. What in your brain made you think Schumacher to Alpine? Uh,
2: here's what I'm thinking. If there's a driver that's on this grid that fits a similar profile to what I hear about Oscar Piastri, is it not Mick Schumacher?
1: No. And why is that? So two di- two different tra- 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 I can't even talk. Trajectories. Trajectories? There yeah. we are. Um, I can't even say his name. I need sleep, obviously.
2: This
0: is uh, why I'm
1: doing this. I'm getting you at your most vulnerable, at your most sleep deprived, but go for it. I know this feels so good to like not have to just worry about changing diapers or spitting up or any of that right now. Um, Oscar Piastri won Formula Europe, Formula Three, Formula F- Two sure. in succession. Um, Mick Schumacher, one, he's always been in his entire career kind of a slow learner. Okay. So his first year in a new series is always his like training year. And then the second year, he's always been his better year. This Formula One instance, he's kind of gotten a two-year reset because it was a dog shit car in the Haas in 2020. And 2021 was his like first real year, you know, whatever and then this year was another new regulation change. So he's kind of getting getting extra time. So I don't think that they're the same driver at all. And if I had to put my money on either one of them, I would go Piastri all day. His demeanor is completely different. He seems like he's, you know, mm-hmm. he says all the right things. He performs when he's in a car. I would take Piastri all day, even given the Schumacher lineage, I think He's been kind of adrift since his dad's accident stuff. But I, I, I just don't see a connection of the classic German name going to the French team to somehow resurrect.
2: No, and, and what resurrect. I guess is pushing my hypothetical, and I want to emphasize that word strongly, hypothetical scenario is if it is truly a financial play, Schumacher has that in spades. Piastri doesn't seem to have that. To your point, Todd, Piastri is probably going to run laps around Mick Schumacher in a race. But if we're looking at it from a dollars and cents perspective, Schumacher, I believe, would have the edge. But once again, prove me wrong, because I am still a relative noob to the sport. So if you're seeing something, I'm not. Because in my mind, they may not get the same racing ceiling with Schumacher, but he's providing more of a financial backing. And that's something that every team seemingly needs.
0: Yeah, I think. Yeah, I- go, ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say I think it's I think it's it's been like a rumor mill thing for the last few days, but I I tend to just think that it's not going to happen. I mean, maybe maybe, you know, maybe maybe it does and maybe everything about the end of this season becomes pure chaos and then we know that Netflix is is behind all of it, but um yeah I mean, I, I think that the other part of that is like it, it's it's hundred percent everyone is on the table if you're a team principal, a CEO, other drivers, right? Like you really you really don't, even if you knew, if I'm friends with Mick and I knew where he was going, I'd add to that chaos before I said where he was going for sure, right? So I think we're in this interesting place towards the end of the as the, we get to the end of the season where all these drivers are kind of like, you know, it's, it's like, it's like Lewis on the radio, you know, these tires are shit, man. (laughs) But like, I'm going to roll into the podium, onto the podium with them while the rest of you pit to try to, you know, I just think it's, it's all smoke and mirrors right now, to be honest. And I think with Mick, look, the rumors that I've seen are like, he's in some way unhappy at Haas or there's been problems at Haas. Yeah, of course you've had a shit season. You haven't really performed. I mean, yeah, you got your first points, but like to Todd's point, you know, he's been given that one year cushion and he hasn't really stepped up to the plate. I don't think that Haas makes any crazy decisions about Mick anytime soon, unless there's some, unless there's a contract that that's coming to an end that I don't know about but like the best bet would be to let him run another four or five races and see where he gets outside of Gio Vinassi, you know, having a seat at least once in his car for the end of the season based on Ferrari's request, you know, like there's no other reason to to think that Mick isn't going to be given the opportunity to continue on wherever he's at. And I would say that regardless of what team, what whatever seat he was in right now, like, people are going to give him more more room for air and more time to make mistakes and learn from them just because of his name and how much his name... And it's not even just his dad, right? It's, you know, his, his uncle is is still commentating and in the pits and around. So, like, there's just a huge value to having him on your team even when he's not... Even when he's just figuring it out, right? So... He, he is bringing sponsorship dollars to
1: Haas. Like, so... There is, besides his performance or lack thereof, he is helping the team in some fashion, plus his name is worth something, dollars-wise, I'm sure. I'm so confident that he won't go to Alpine that if it does happen for some reason, the entire Malhotra household will be getting Alpine Schumacher gear for the next season.
2: No, no, no. I'm making that
1: proclamation right now. I will find a baby onesie. I have... Actually, I'll show you guys once it comes in, but I'm super excited to for something I got for my son or for my daughter. I'm sorry. Uh, whenever it comes in. But anyway, we've hit our marks. We've hit our marks,
2: but do we want to give a quick any other thoughts analysis in terms of open seats and open drivers? Because. I think we've exhausted it, but I'm sure there's somebody out there listening saying, well, what about insert driver here or insert team here? (laughs) I have one for you.
1: (laughs) Go for it. There was an article today that I read earlier. That good old go Nicholas Latifi, Mr. Sofina Cash, says he doesn't want you to judge his performances until Silverstone onward. Because that's when he got a new chassis. Okay. And if we look at his performances from silverstone onward where is he where is he the TV. he got uh 9 9 points so what's that 11th mhm dnf dnf and 17th real strong case <laughs> i mean wait when did, when did he say that he he was saying that he got a new chassis in silverstone and he wants, he's basically saying it to the general public, but really it's like, Hey team, like, don't judge me until I got the new chassis. Um, yeah. I, I, I love his Canadian optimism, but like, just, just let it go. Just write it out, take your victory lap or whatever they'll let you have. Uh, you know, you know, just for kicks, maybe crash into the wall in, uh, Abu Dhabi at the end of the year. No, no, please don't do that. No, uh, the, title fights, some... the title fights title fights going to... It's pretty much over, so doesn't matter. Crash on a wall. Screw up third and fourth or something. Come on. No, no, no. He, he, he is on my team in the Exhaust
2: Notes pod draft, and you know what? It's funny he wants us to judge him from Silverstone on because... Prior to that, he's only had one DNF and then he followed up two out of the four races he wants us to evaluate him on because Nicholas, buddy, I have more invested in you than you probably have invested in you. Just shut up and drive. I hate that ideology. I always want athletes to have a voice, but when it comes to this, have self-awareness, be Canadian, be humble, be quiet, don't say a word.
0: There it is. I would love more than anything just to see him like out of nowhere land on the podium one time before the end of the season.
2: (laughs) If he does that, I will donate my entire life savings to the Latifi household. I mean, granted, that's what a weekend holiday at Calgary for them. I don't know. I'm not very affluent in Canadian matters, but I will give my entire life savings. I will legally change my daughter's name to Nicolette Latifi Malhotra NLM.
1: He makes it on the podium. Yeah. Stranger things have happened. Uh, I feel like I we have a more of a chance of that happening than Piastri <laughs> going to Alpine.
2: Oh, you mean Mick Schumacher. Or, sorry. <laughs>
0: sorry. Yep. Yeah, Mick. Well, actually, either yeah. one now. Either.
2: either. That's true.
1: <laughs> All right. Oh. Well, it's race week. Could be the last time we see Spa. I said this in the pre-show, might as well say it on the pod. I also said it in the Discord. Come scream at me for my opinion. Spa, as a race for F1, unless this new rule set changes things, Spa's overrated. It has two amazing corners, probably the two best corners in the world for F1. Other than that, the race is meh. Yeah. Uh Yeah. I like
2: it, but I'm also relatively new to the party. So if I'm an established presence and I keep seeing it year over year, I'm sure it gets annoying. But there is something exciting about those two corners that, frankly, the likes of France or Monaco just don't have. Give me spas two corners over those two tracks any day of the week. But I also have that self-awareness to know that I'm relatively new to this.
0: I mean, I I think that's the thing, right? Like, we we don't have the whole sport is in, we need more passing mode. And frankly, if you've got to get rid of spa or, or Monaco, Monaco's a spectacle. Like, even though there's no passing, there's nothing that compares to watching those cars rip through the tunnel and come out around that little back and forth, you know, like there's so much to me in that by itself, visually, that is like, it, it like puts things, into perspective for the average person to see cars coming through those, those turns and thinking like, what the fuck are these guys doing? And yeah, I don't know. I I don't really feel any type of way about spy. I think it's, it's been entertaining in years past, but I don't think it has been more recently. And I think, you know, if we're going to, if we're going to address that the cars are too big, which we're not ready to have that conversation as formula one as an entity, but like, if we're gonna reduce the size of the cars and and make things competitive again, then hell, let's just bring them back to Laguna Seca so we all can you know, watch them close, up close and personal. I will see you there. It's a better track. It's a better track than any track that that they go to, in my opinion. But yeah, it's, it's, it's. I mean, it's one of those things where like, I don't think you'll ever appease all the fans, right? Like, we're we're in this like weird time where like we're filling in more and more races, but the cars are. Massive, you know, they're essentially NASCAR with aerodynamics instead of you know where it used to be like they were half the size of NASCAR comparatively. Not to say that not to say that they're not amazing, but I, I think that we've gotten to a point where they're so massive that that's it's not the track that's the issue, in in my opinion, it's it's the size of the cars.
1: That's a good question. I was just trying to look up how long is a NASCAR race car. Versus F one, I bet you that an F one car is longer, which is crazy, because NASCARs look oh, gigantic. So. Yeah.
2: Anyway, for the last spot, do we have predictions? Oh yeah,
0: podium. I'm gonna I'm gonna reluctantly say that Leclerc is actually gonna get a win. Wow.
2: And the second and third of your
0: podium, Nick uh probably max and lewis i'm going to say
1: max lewis checo i'll go max george carlos all right
0: that's an interesting mix <laughs> yeah we have a lot all <laughs> over the
1: board somebody's going to be right with one of them
0: here's open yep yep all right well, that pretty much wraps. Guys, let them know how they can find you. You can find
2: me on Instagram, road. 13 on Twitter at Roheasy and just join be real because I saw that that's the new happening social media network for the kids. So yeah, road. 13 on that. Don't know how that works, but sure. Make me a friend. Maybe I'll use it then.
1: <laughs> how about you, Todd? I am so out of touch with reality right now. I don't even know what be real is, but um, I will probably end up on there um some someday uh i'm uh teasy one on twitter teasy on instagram lots of pictures
0: of my new daughter on there come drop a like i'm at nick ingvall on all the platforms more importantly follow us at exhaust notes fm on all the platforms and hit the link in the description to join us on the discord be a good conversation around the potentially the final spa race this weekend uh yeah. in our discord as the race is happening so Thanks for listening, tuning in, watching, supporting us. Leave us a review if you haven't, and we'll catch you on the next one. Peace.
2: What up, Coco?